Now listening to Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games podcast. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 237. I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. Okay, no new patrons this week, but uh, it's the end of August, the beginning of September, which means the patrons have patronized us. So thank you, everyone, who did that. You uh, you pay the hosting costs, and uh, you take some stress off the servers and stuff. That's really cool of you. Good job. We love you all. Well done all around. around. Uh, on that note, um, the Game Club game, I'm trying to... I think Game Club should be like a monthly thing, because I want to do more, but like, I don't know. I always want to do more, and you can't always do more, right? Yes. You and I both have a really nasty habit of trying to take on way more than we're capable of. Yeah, I, I, I you know, the plate overfloweth, right? And I keep putting more food on top of it, and I just want to give me more. It's like you're but, going back for seconds and you haven't even finished your firsts. Yeah, I do that. My mom would say my eyes are bigger than my stomach. Yes, kind of thing. Well, my so, parents said that too. See, there's a there's a there's some you know. I know there's some yeah I, there's some up in there. You didn't grow up devoid of idioms. <laughs> That's right. Just most for some reason. Uh, so the Game Club game this month is going to be Sonic Mania. Ooh. Ooh. Sonic Mania. We, I'm excited. I, I feel like we sort of touched on that another episode. I think we talked a little bit about it, but just kind of briefly near the end. That might have been the most recent, or I don't know, it was a recent one. We don't know. Within within a few, uh, it was in August, I'll tell you that much. The only thing I can remember about it is that um, one of the artists for Nuclear Throne worked on it as well i think it was paul veer yes yeah really cool team actually i uh, get this so i hang out in the socal i'll probably link to it actually why not the socal game dev discord it's a mouthful uh and somebody in there was like hey anyone gonna get sonic mania it looks cool and i said yeah i just don't know if i'm gonna get it on uh, steam or xbox yet and one of the producers was hanging out in there and said yo here's a free key how cool is that oh that is cool and I was like, game club game instantly. <laughs> New game, I'm interested in it, and uh, everything's better when it's free, isn't it? Absolutely. Pizza tastes better, swag is awesome. Like, who doesn't love wearing, like, a shirt? You're like, I got this for free. Even bad it's, pizza, when free, yeah. tastes okay. Yeah, and it doesn't come with any, like, you know, if you paid for it, you'd be like, dude, this pizza was 20 bucks, and it, it doesn't taste good. <laughs> I'm upset. But if it's bad, you're like, I don't care. Doesn't cost me a penny. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> beautiful thing yes uh let's see also um i would be remiss if i did not mention so i think that last podcast what was it even called what i call it i think dumb name didn't it oh no that was okay xenoprobia (laughs) i'll say like you mean like the last 236 podcasts (laughs) hey how dare you they're all they're all genius xenoprobia i don't know b minus for effort i guess um so that was one of the ones where we received the, the most feedback. The, I think the key to having an engaged podcast audience is to spread ignorance. Because <laughs> <laughs> what I said was um, oh, the so alien. True. Yeah, it, it is. Because if, you know, if you're spouting truths, people might be like, you know, good job. They're just nod their heads while they're listening and washing their dishes or commuting. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Steve, commuting right now. This blew <laughs> Steve's mind. <laughs> um, but what you really want to do is you want to uh, say things that you know our our, ner- our fellow nerd audience knows is not true. Uh, so what I said was that the aliens uh, from the Alien franchise movies have never been on Earth. Have you seen the Alien versus Predator movies? I think absolutely not. Two- <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> you're like no, all well, of the no. Why not? Well, because here's going to be my response. We didn't even remember that those things existed when we were talking yeah. about uh yeah aliens or whatever on the previous podcast um but then i i did you know remember that they existed when people pointed it out and it's like to me like those kinds of crossover movies like aren't really canon and like they don't really enter the discussion as much you know for sure yeah they're kind of off by one like i don't know maybe it's a really good movie but to me it was like it's like you know just milking two franchises right yeah like what if we can get all the fans of this movie and predator there you go they're like you know two franchises that are on shaky ground combined make one franchise that's on decent ground is the hope let's get uh adrian brody in it who (laughs) won an oscar or something that'll help okay so okay but it's a fair point yeah. It, it is okay. I should have mentioned it. I, I gotta admit that for sure. I should have at least mentioned them because I was walking through like you know all five, I guess now of the 
whatever alien movies right uh okay but in my defense when you go to the alien uh series movie page on wikipedia it walks through <laughs> list of films alien aliens alien 3 alien resurrection and then a separate section for prequel sequels prometheus and alien covenant after that is canceled films <laughs> after that is future including alien covenant 2 then there's a other films section where there's alien versus predator and alien versus predator requiem so i don't know so you forgot I mean, about two whole alien versus predator films yeah i did but yeah. Like, in my defense, they're, like, way down the... Like, no one cares. <laughs> I gotta say this, though. Um, if they're I after played... canceled films. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> but uh, I-, I played AVP on Xbox 360, and it was really fun, I gotta say. Because I didn't expect much. I think it was one of those things where my brother was like, you want this? <laughs> I'm literally gonna throw this game away because it won't sell for anything on Amazon or whatever. And I'm like, sure. And I tried it and I did not expect much. That's a big key, isn't but it? Free it, games, just like free yeah, pizza. Yeah, just like we said, free yeah, free games. So I'm not gonna be like, oh, I can't believe I wasted sixty bucks on this. You know, but yeah. uh yeah, I played it and I, my expectations were low. That that's a key to anything, I think. If your expectations like you want <laughs> I want to walk around with the lowest expectations ever, right? Because then I'll be like, Man, everything is great. Which is like beat my sort of uh it's like the opposite of no man's sky, right? Right. Like that's a good point. What are the problems with that? It was that launch. It's interesting. I've been seeing articles crop up about like, you know, no man's sky one year later and I've been hearing it's good rumblings again. that like, oh, it got a lot better. Yeah. And that people really enjoy it now. I've been meaning to kind it. of take a look, but you know, whatever happened between now and then, the rocky launch they had uh seemed due to like overhyped expectations but like how do you reconcile that with sort of like the conventional wisdom nowadays about shouting from the rooftops and building hype early and you know like not necessarily over promising but all the marketing stuff that we talk about is so important you know that's a good point because that is what we always see right is uh we actually gave that advice not terribly long ago like when is what is too early to start talking about your project and it's almost like you know the moment you have some concept art or a playable prototype or like the the bare minimum to where it's more than just like a, a sparkle in your eye or just like a, a google doc with no code or art or anything you know like the moment it's more than that like start talking about it right but then you get into the whole thing where oh the game's not ready and you know sh- uh, <laughs> early act like too early for early access kind of thing it, it's really hard because there's a gradient now it's it's not long uh it's no longer this case where it's like you know we ship the final fully tested finished version and we print it, you know, to a cartridge or we, you know, blast it on a disc and we distribute it around the world kind of thing. Right. Like now there's like, I don't know, launch it today, launch it again a year from now, yeah. maybe never actually finish it kind of maybe scenario. That's, I think that's kind of the conclusion we came to last time we talked about it was that the early access model like helps that like smooth that out. Right. Right. Because people's expectations aren't, Oh, I bought this game on a launch day and it's terrible. Or didn't live up to the hype rather is probably a better way to phrase that yeah uh versus like well i bought it in early access and it's not living up to the hype yet right. yeah yeah so it's important maybe just to stay in early access forever you know i feel like google forever. um forever right because because okay remember when uh, google products used to just have the word beta on them forever yes and that's still kind of a thing a lot of startups will just have like beta like it's the same thing like early access you know it's like it's almost like saying forgive us <laughs> be gentle is what it should say instead of beta it's like a big <laughs> construction sign you know it's like a, the under construction gifts from the 90s yeah yeah the shoveling and the the yellow and black sign, uh, like tape this website is a work in progress right yeah so, so i think your expectations uh is everything and i had low expectations for uh, alien versus predator for xbox 360 um what was kind of cool though i thought that uh there's so there's three campaigns right there's the soldiers um like the military right then there's you can play as a xenomorph and you can play as a predator and i thought the alien uh campaign was really cool uh you have this like cool vision you can run up on the ceilings and the walls which feels awesome and your whole thing is just get behind people and uh and kill him a lot it's great <laughs> this sounds fun yeah and then predator had like you could um jump uh it's a weird system for like you could place your jumps really carefully because they had those movies yes oh. you do you got that chameleon thing you got lasers on your shoulders um you also can walk up behind people and just like claw them through the spine and rip their 
you know, just like in the movie, like it really did. They did a good job, I think, of um, you know, like capturing the, cool the things, fun, right? Yeah, like why would you want to play as a predator? And the things in the movie, you know, like here's a laser, here's a chameleon, like all the cool ways the predator would kill people. They gave you that, and um, I think they did a good job with that. The military was not so fun because it's like you're you're weak and there's no light and you you know get your butt kicked a lot. Well, you're going up against aliens and predators. Yeah, it's like, kind of stacked against you. Yeah, your weak human flesh. Uh, but yeah, two out of three ain't bad. So I came away with a positive feeling about it. So now that you've taken fifteen minutes to defend your lack of inclusion <laughs> for AVP, yeah, yes, I did. Sorry. Um, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? I, I got to Okay, one one last point is on my way back uh, on the plane back from Canada. They had um, the Alien movies to be able to watch, so I rewatched the original. Oh, nice. Hold- holds up dude holds up nice. gotta say yeah every bit of it all the yes there's oh, a couple of there's a couple of moments where you're like okay that didn't look very good right just because it was made in the 70s or whatever but uh i think it kind of proves the point that i was trying to say about hide more from the audience because the basically the more you could draw on a scale the more you show of the alien the worse it looks when you just show the head or just the mouth or just like the the torso and the arms and stuff it, it looks perfect but then later they show like a, it's clearly like a person in a suit and you're like, uh, there's <laughs> a couple of shots that are like unfortunate. You're like that thing's not scary. It just looks like, you know, some dude. Whoops. <laughs> I got big baggy black pants on and a big old <laughs> like crappy looking Halloween costume. But when they, they hide it in the darkness, it's like, it's very scary. And it's a really awesome movie. Even baggy pants are scary in the dark. <laughs> That might be a podcast title right there. Even baggy <laughs> pants are scary in the dark. Yes, ship it. I'm going right. with it. Done. Done. Uh, a couple of things I wanted to mention just because they pop up on my radar. Um, and I'll get into one of these too because we are going to answer uh, the uh, Backburner listener question uh, from Andre today. Thanks for those questions. Thanks for your patience. Um, I actually checked the news today for the first time in a long time, the gaming news. And uh, Fig's first funded game released sees 100 percent return on investment you know what that game is um wait 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 you know it i do oh well maybe not though because it's got that name that we were talking about was just like huh generic generic medievally medieval that was the name of it okay maybe i don't remember kingdoms and castles wait just wasn't take- that a game that you were talking about yeah yeah the, the, we uh you know i was mentioning all the things i thought were notable about it and uh yeah it went really well figs funding platform mm, i mean great Think about that. 100% return on investment. Yes, please. Yeah. No, Almost no investments will give you that, right? So that's a clear success. Uh, and I, yeah, I, you know, I, I still play it once in a while. I think Kingdoms and Castles, solid game. I give it I give it a thumbs up. And I, you know me. It's no Instagram. Yeah, I don't do that. Uh, <laughs> right, right. In terms of uh, investment <clears throat> return. But that's okay. Yeah, or, or Snapchat. Yes. Long way um, to go. Yeah, but still, um, thumbs no, that's up. That's great, though. Yeah, that is good stuff. But that's not the so when you originally asked the question, I thought I was thinking in my head, what was the first Fig launch game? Because I remember, and I feel like it was a Double Fine game. No, no, it wasn't. No, I think that sounds like a thing. Like what <laughs> Maybe, was the very first? Like when Fig came out. Like I remember, you know, I don't know, was it like a year ago? Now at this point, at least six months. I have no concept of time, so forgive <laughs> me. It could have been like f- between a year and five years ago, but it's true. I remember when Fig came out, and there was like you know. Essentially, they they launched with a campaign because, like, why would you not? Yeah. Um, so it wasn't that game, right? Because I'm pretty sure that wasn't Kingdoms and Castles at that time. Yeah, it sounds right to me because I remember it. Maybe there's a different funding platform or something, but I it's the things that you say sound correct. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad we I, have no way to validate this information. I'm looking at the website. I don't. I don't. I'm on fig.co <laughs> right now, and I don't. Um, I'm trying, man. That's but right. uh, yeah, that sounds right to me. Is they launched with something that did really well right out of the gate, and I thought it was double fine. But maybe this is the first one that's actually released, right? Yeah. What the, so the art, I'll put a, let's see. Hey, I actually have show notes. Look at me. I'll put a link to this. Uh, Fig's first funded. Yes, that's the key word, right? Maybe it's not first released game. Maybe it's first funded game. I don't know what the difference is. But I, I do know that Kings and Castles wasn't funded, you know, like yesterday. It was It was a while back, and then they finished... Right. development and stuff so i could be wrong so uh you often are as am i as our listeners will let as us you know. spent the first half of this podcast talking about 
<laughs> never, never. Uh, all right, you want to jump into the listener question? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Uh, I'm just going to read it verbatim because it helps me uh, out. So um, here we go. I've noticed that most people that teach game design through YouTube, video courses, and books don't have a popular game in their portfolio. Uh, even creators of the most popular... Uh, the writer of the book, basically, The Art of Game Design, this is the Book of Lenses, this is written by Jesse Shell, wasn't involved in the creation of any really popular games. Do you think it's right that people are usually learning game design from people who aren't able to make popular games, or should people do their research and learn only from people who are involved in creation of a popular game? So this question boils down to uh, the kind of unfortunate thing attached to teachers, which is like those who can do, those who can't teach kind of thing, right? And it boils down to like, should I even learn from you because you know you haven't made a hit game, perhaps, right? Uh, or you know, wh- how do you feel about this one? This question. Do you, do you understand the the premise? Yes. Yeah. You know, how do you how do you feel about it? Um, I think that there's a spectrum, like everything else, but in general, I think that it's fine to uh, learn from people who haven't had like excessive monetary success in the you know within the industry itself right although with jesse shell specifically like i know that he has had some success with stuff like um enemy mind right i mean it's not like a runaway success right but it's a completed game it's sold on steam i you know based on just kind of my like ballpark you know how much i saw about it in the news and how much i heard other people talk about it and just what i've played around i assume it made you know some amount of money right right um he's also been involved in several kickstarters um not to mention the work he does at the university i Uh, have a lot to say about jesse shell i I think that this specific example uh is is a little remiss i like i i'm a fan of jesse shells like i follow him um he gives talks i think he's he's basically a genius uh, I've got a lot to say about that, uh, but I also like, I think too that there's points just about um, teachers and creative people in general, right? Um, and there's also too like you know to say that someone hasn't worked on a really popular game, like how do you even define that, right? Because I think that especially if you're indie, a lot of the games that you see are the exceptions, the ones that really took off for you know unexplainable reasons, or maybe you can't explain them, but it being that like. There are tons of games. You just think about this. There's thousands of games that you've never heard of that are doing gangbusters. And you're like, you know, you might be, oh, I, since I haven't heard of it, that's not a notable game or that's not an impressive game or that's not a hit game. It's completely not true, right? Like anytime, like your, your cone of awareness, like like your visible universe is, is much smaller than, than any of us are aware of, right? Yeah. Something to keep in mind. Um, yeah, and I, I think that the older I get, especially, like I think that, you know, when I was a younger man, boy, whatever, um, I used to like really, I don't say buy into like it was like a religious conviction or anything, but like I kind of had that mentality, right? That like you should only really care about the people that have had success, um, right? And and people that didn't have success, you know, they would then go on to teach stuff. And I think that it's wrong because it really ends up being a very different skill set. When you, when you talk about one, creating a product and finding success, which, you know, as we've talked about ad nauseum is sort of not like a known recipe anyway, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a, you had good ideas and you were in the right place at the right time. Not, you know, again, not to take away anything from the skill involved in doing it, right? But there is a certain amount of like, you know, many people have good ideas they just had them at the wrong times or in the wrong context or whatever. Right. And then yeah. not to say that like <clears throat> people don't deserve their success because they obviously do, but there are so many factors into it. There's so many things that factor into success besides just like raw talent. I think that, right. um, you know, it's hard to say that people that haven't found it don't have, you know, good stuff to contribute to the process, right? Because some people kind of make it their business. Like uh, Jesse Shell, I think, is like not someone that I follow as closely as you might, but like the sense that I get from him is that he is very interested in the process of game development, right? Yeah. And sometimes that almost puts you on a path of, you know, not having great commercial success right away, especially, right? 
Whereas you look at, you know, some other people that maybe focus on like the end product, right? Like here's the game that I want to bring to people um, because of this emotional story I want to tell, right? For whatever reason. And then that's kind of where you see like the big successes come from. Not exclusively, right? But that's one of the ways we've seen that kind of thing happen, um, which is really just a much different mindset and an approach to your work than, you know, I want to like examine game development as a discipline and help people understand it and talk about it and experiment in it and do things like that, right? It's like uh, almost the difference between um, like biotech in academia and biotech in production, right? Hmm. Like yeah. you don't see people in academia making all the money, right? The fact they often make very little money because they're funded by the government or whatever, um, and the government has limited money to to give to universities doing experimental work or whatever, or just reinvesting in the process, right? Like, how do we, you know how much do we understand the underlying systems at play here, whether it's game development or physics or whatever? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, versus you know someone who's like, okay, we're selling cancer drugs for a bajillion dollars a piece, and we're a private company or whatever. Not right. to get into like the philosophical debate about, you know, drugs or whatever, but just that like the way that you can approach your business and and essentially your life's work, right? Like um, really sh we shouldn't take anything away from talented people who choose to go down the path of like, I want to explore the how and the community around uh, this given discipline or this field or whatever. Right. Yeah, and you know, people who are really good at the craft sometimes are not good at the business side and vice versa, right? So you might be learning game development from someone who's kind of a garbage game developer, but they're amazing at the marketing stuff, right? And so it, you got to pick and choose what you learn. And, and yeah, again, like you might have someone who makes like, oh man, like the best pixel art I've ever seen in their games, like the code is so streamlined and simple and their creative process is so lean and you can learn so much from it. Um but they've never shipped like a game that you've heard of because you know they just they're embarrassed about it they, they they release a game and they tell two friends and they sweep it under a rug and they have a niche page but they don't like you know actively promote it or anything right, right. like that's that's a thing that can totally be too yeah um i think the, the, like anything else right there's a spectrum and right every person you meet or or you interact with in some way whether it's on twitter or discord or face to face or maybe you just only know them from their work, right? Um, there's a spectrum of how much information they can provide to you, right? And sometimes yeah. it's like a lot of really great stuff. And But sometimes even for people at the top, right? Like if you were to say, hey, Ed McMillan, like give me a knowledge dump. He might yeah. be like, you know, well, just make something that was from your childhood and you had this idea and you have this whatever, you know, uh, yeah. but as we talked about, right. And, and we've heard from people like, um, Vlambeer and stuff like you can't really replicate that success very easily. Even if that person is kind of telling you what they did, like it might not work because different place, different time, different culture, other games, schedules, who knows, right. All the things yeah. that, that we've talked about on the podcast before. Um, but then, you know, there are people like Jesse shell or maybe other people, you know, um, Chris DeLeon, who is, you know, very much in a similar boat, I would imagine, right? Like, he's worked in the industry, shipped games, right? But he's not someone you think of as, like, he's not, like, one of the indie success darlings, right? Right. But his track is more about, like, you know, reinvesting in the craft, right? Yeah. To an extent, it's sort of like a blacksmith passing on, Right swordsmithing <laughs> or whatever right to, to like yeah. the next generation versus the person making the valyrian steel broadsword that's the crown jewel of the kingdom or something yeah and you might have the best blacksmith in the kingdom is just someone that no one's ever heard of and you'd be like you know oh you've never had a commission from the king like well the king's never heard of you if you told the king hey there's the best blacksmith ever is you know you never heard of him he's two counties over the king would be like well, all right commission it right you know, and then bam, you've got your, see, that's the thing too, is I feel like a lot of success, um, whether people want to admit it or not, is luck. Did you ever see the movie Match Point? Nope. It's a Woody Allen movie. It's, um, it, it kind of drives that home, you know? Yeah. Because a lot of times <clears throat> you can have a really lucky, fortunate event. Like, you know, lightning strikes sometimes, right? I mean, lightning 
you know, it can be a literal thing or it could be like, what? Like I bought a lottery ticket because I had $2 in my pocket and bam, I won the lottery, right? Or I got hit by a bus, you know, I broke every bone in my body. Like that's the kind of event that can happen in daily life. It's also the kind of event that can happen when you market a product, right? Like I have no idea why, but PewDiePie loves this stupid game that I made that I thought would make five bucks, right? you know, and it's made a million dollars in the first month. Like I'm well, blown away. Like that's the kind of places that, that success can come from. Wasn't that like the Flappy Bird story, right? Yeah, that's 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 essentially Flappy Bird, right? Like, it, you know, it could have just been this game that no one really ever heard of or no one cared about. Solidly made, you know, fun gameplay, simple design, like all good. Never heard of it until Lightning Strikes. Right. Here's a note uh, from my notes. I was in trouble when I started that sentence. Uh, so from <laughs> my notes, people who are amazing at their craft are not necessarily good teachers. That's just true. That's true, yeah. That's positively true. People who are good teachers are not necessarily good at all the things that need to get done to ship well-received games in the market. Right. Right? That's also true. And, like, think about this, too. Um, a lot of people who create stuff, they just kind of want to create, you know? And they don't, like, what? You want me to teach you? I don't even... I don't like teaching. I don't want, I don't want you to know. I don't want to give away my secrets. I don't enjoy walking through the process. Like, I want to keep my process to myself kind of thing right and some people are like oh man i love teaching i love spreading what i've learned i wish i had a, had a teacher earlier in my life that's why i'm so excited about it and they're you know eager and anxious to tell you all the little trip tips and tricks that they learn every time they think of something they'll write some notes down and they can't wait to impart that knowledge upon you you know like who do you want to learn from you want to learn from someone who's like i don't know i make games and they make a lot of money like what do you want from me or do you want someone who's like yes come to me and i will I'll be eager about teaching you. I think it also, like, you have to keep in mind where you're at on the spectrum yourself, right? Because uh, as you progress through life, you're learning stuff all the time. And yeah. sometimes you're in a place where people have something useful that you can learn, and sometimes you're not, right? And it's just sort of about recognizing where you are and, and what value other people's products have to offer you, right? So I, th I think it's right. really hard to say, it's not one of these issues where you can say like, this person doesn't have anything to, of value to offer, right? It's more like, well, this person knows enough, right? Because pe people are interested at all levels of game development, right? And we exist on this spectrum too, right? Like, and probably towards the lower end, right? <laughs> of like, <laughs> what <Hey>. people can <laughs> learn. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Dippercast number three. That's right. Of what people can learn, you know, like uh, on the spectrum from like, I know nothing about game development to like, I'm a game development master, right? Yeah, no, totally. Like, and, and so for people that, you know, have things to learn from us or other people like us, then like, it's a fantastic relationship, right? And then, and then same thing for us. Like there's people that are way more successful or better teachers, right? Um, or both, Right. Right. Um, that that we can learn from and that we try to. And one of the reasons that we have interviews, you know, it's it's for the benefit of everyone listening. But a lot of times it's like people that we sort of admire and look up to like, oh, this person had some success and maybe they're not the most successful person, but everybody has like, um, it's sort of like, you know, the hippie optimist view, right? Everybody has like something to offer <laughs> in general, usually, <laughs> right? Like, it's true. Um, they may have some experience, you know, like talking to Lars is much different than talking to, um, um, you know, the guy from Greenheart Gaming. Name right. is escaping me at the moment. Um, Patrick. Or, Patrick, right, yes. Klug. Um, uh, or talking to Rich Davey, right? Like talking about the ups and downs of like things on the engine side, right? Mm -hmm. So I just think that, you know, it's a very personal question, right? Like who you learn from and how much they have to teach you and that kind of stuff, right? And and someone yeah. who may not have interesting information for you might have it for someone else, right? That's in a different spot in their journey from game dev apprentice to game dev master. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, the thing you said earlier, right? Like we, if you give someone who uh, who's brand new to games, like, hey, I've never, I didn't even know you can make your own games. Like, how do you get started? And you gave that person to us. We could give them so much information, just an avalanche of information. They'd be overwhelmed in no time, right? But then if you took a person who had, you know, hipped, uh, shipped a hit game or two and give them to us and we're like, <laughs> what could we teach this person? We'd be like, uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing for you because right. they've done things that we haven't, right? Uh, but I mean, just, you know, 
just think about the how how much knowledge you and I have, especially combined, right, about making games. It's a ton. You know, like not not to downplay it, right? We've made all kinds of different games. We've, we've each individually and together made dozens. Uh, maybe at this point, dozens and dozens of games, you know? Right. Some of them have made hundreds of thousands of dollars. Some of them have been played for years and players have put hundreds of hours into them, you know? So not to downplay that stuff, like there's there's an ocean of information that you and I have, but at some point it does become like um, irrelevant to some people. And it is, like you've been saying, it's this gradient and it's a, it's a very wide spectrum. So I think the thing to take away is just like, always be trying to put yourself around people that you can learn from, right? Yeah. And it's okay to move on, right? If, if you don't get anything out of Udemy classes that, that other people might benefit from, that's fantastic. You know, that's actually great for you, right? It means that you're, you know, you're, your personal knowledge is getting good enough where you can like start to say like, oh, this stuff is not relevant to me anymore, right? Right, yeah. Um, not that it has no value, but like just for me, I need to keep challenging myself. I need to like set my sights higher, my personal goals higher, whatever. Yeah. Um, so a little bit more on, on Jesse shell. So, um, just in Jesse shells defense, cause he does have a lot of educational stuff out there. And like, this is a dude with a really impressive, um, career. He has worked on real life games for Disney. There was a pirates of the Caribbean game that he gave a, a talk on, how many of us get to work on that kind of a thing that has like a platform and actual real hardware, like a, you know, the, the wheel you can steer for the ship or operating like a cannon, you know, amazing. Yeah. Um, his experience there is just uh, invaluable. You had mentioned Enemy Mind as being one of his more successful um, indie offerings, which just, you know, kind of off by one games that pop out of their, uh, his studio called Shell Games. He owns his own studio with like dozens of employees, maybe hundreds at this point. I don't know. Uh, Enemy Mind has sold over, uh, almost 300,000 copies on Steam alone. It's not outlandish to assume that that game has uh, made over a million dollars in profit. And then just today, when I was catching up with uh, the gaming news for the first time in like a year or something, um, his VR game, I Expect You to Die, has pulled in $1 million in revenue across three VR platforms. And again, this is just like one of the many things that, um, that Jesse Shell uh, offers. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, that's a pretty interesting read. It's on Gama Sutra. Man, but Gama Sutra, I love it. Another interesting viewpoint I think is is good to consider, right, is that when you encounter someone, they may be on their ascent as well, right? Mm. Even though, true. like, maybe he wrote that game design book of lessons, lenses a while ago, right? We've been talking about that book forever. Yeah. Um, and that was certainly before Enemy Mine and certainly before this VR game, right? Yeah. Um, but maybe, you know, he's still on the upswing, right? Like, something to consider about, you know, whether or not a person's viewpoint experiences have, have merit. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, so good question. And, you know, totally fair. Cause like, Hey, who are you? That's actually something that matters to me a lot. I'll be reading an article and it'll, you know, tout opinions or, or give advice or something. And like, I want to know a little bit about the author, right? right? Cause it could be someone who's like, I just discovered video games today and I have lots of thoughts, you know, you want some context. I want to know like, okay, have you shipped some games? Like how much experience do you have? Like what do you, what is it that you actually do? You know? Yeah. This discipline matters a lot. That kind of thing. I definitely think there are cases where like, you know, we just talked about earlier, like people don't have much to offer you specifically. Right. Yeah. That's um, true. So you still have to be aware, right? Like you don't want to necessarily spend your time and money and effort on things that don't benefit you. Right. right or that you're past or whatever it happens to be but because it's such a broad ecosystem you know um and but it, it runs the gamut right like i'm sure there are like almost like fraudster types right who are like maybe it's us i don't know spitting out Uh-oh. information that's like you know <laughs> actively harmful aliens have never been on earth <laughs> <Right. sighs> just matt just spreading ignorance via the Unsubscribe. internet. Unsubscribe. <laughs> what a horrible podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, both ends of the spectrum exist. Yeah. I think. Yep. Uh, yeah. You can learn from anybody. And uh, even if they haven't shipped a hit game or a game you've heard of, um, you might still, you might still be able to squeeze their brains, squeeze their brain juice, <laughs> and learn from it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, like blood from a turnip. Yes. Yeah. Uh, or eat their brain zombie style and I'm pretty sure that's how you uh, actually learn 
That's what I read somewhere. Yeah, must be. So uh, I think usually we would just talk about one topic for a whole hour. Uh, we're trying to get, uh, I don't know, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? I don't know. Who knows? But uh, we're going to do two topics today. This um, crept up uh, this month at the end of August. This is really cool. So um, this was a tweet from Jennifer. I'm just going to say Jennifer and put a link to her Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to try on that one. Um, she is the game design lead at OPX Space for Earthlight, and she asked a question on Twitter. Hey, game dev, tell me about some brilliant mechanics and games that are hidden from the player to get across to get across a certain feeling. Uh, so this is her example. Assassin's Creed and Doom value the last bit of health as more hit points than the rest of it to encourage a feeling of just barely surviving. Hmm. Does that make sense? Maybe. So like, so let's say you've got 100 health in Doom, right? You get down to um, what you see, what is visualized to the player will be, uh, oh, you only have 20 health, right? And you're like, oh, God, oh, God, I'm going to die, and you're running around. Um, what the actual numbers might be is you still have 50 health left. So they put it on a uh, on a scale, right? Right. So when it shows, like, your last five health, that might really be your last 10 health. And that increases the effect of, like, whoa, man, I barely survived. Hmm. Clever trick. Yeah, um, so many great answers. I want to go through some of these ones. Um, Polygon turned it into an article and kind of, because, uh, you know, I don't know, Twitter is a weird platform just in general, but especially for long threads like this. Yeah. So it's kind of meandering, and, and I'll put a link to the tweet, like, good luck with that. Uh, but Polygon, <laughs> thankfully, put us uh, put it together for us in a nice, uh, clean way. Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in Firewatch, a player not responding to dialogue prompt is a noted choice. That's interesting. Because sometimes, you know, you'll see a menu and it's like, hey, do you want to help me out? And you're like, you know, you say yes for the uh, good, right, like path that get help, helps your alignment in games like Skyrim and stuff. Or, or uh, maybe, um, uh, what are those space games? <laughs> what, was, what, was, what was Andromeda? What was that one? Help me out. I have no idea. Bio, Bioshock? No. Bio, <laughs> damn it, Jeff, you can help me. <laughs> game. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, the Mass Effect. Jeez, I couldn't oh, think. Of, I yeah, haven't actually the played game, that. The games where they ask you a question, and you know, oh, right. like your the, response will dictate what happens in the right, game, right, 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 and right. whether you're evil or whatever. Fable games do that kind of thing a lot too, right? Um, um, Force Unleashed was kind of like that. I know I talk about that a lot, but it was also like that. you yeah. can choose to be a uh, good good Jedi or bad Jedi. Yeah, and you think as the player, you know, if you don't answer, maybe it doesn't, you know, count at all. But uh, in Firewatch, apparently it does. So what does it count for? I don't know. They didn't say. Mm, maybe you can ask uh, Jane on Twitter. I'm sure you won't. No, would I? <laughs> yeah. uh, let's see. I feel like um, before I lose it because my memory yeah, is yeah, terrible. Yeah, yeah. No, go but, for it. Um, I feel like I saw something about this with like percentage hit attacks, and maybe it was in a game like XCOM. I I don't recall. But mm-hmm. the basic gist of it was that, like, if it says that you have an 80% chance or something, um, it's actually higher than 80%, like, statistically or whatever, because right. 80%, like, it for a human, right? Like, 80% seems like a sure thing a lot of times, right? Even yeah. though it's, like, quite far from a sure thing. Yeah. Right? Um, so, it's interesting. Like, it's it kind of reminded me that because of the health, right? It's, like, sort of tricking the player emotionally. Right, right. To um, by by changing the actual numbers under the hood because people's perception of numbers is, is often like incorrect. Yes. Uh, so there was I'm trying to find it, but I can't. But there was this really great talk by um, Sid Meier, right, the civilization designer. Um, really important, prolific games, and he was giving this talk about how like his players. So it gives you stats, right? You'd be like, okay, if I attack this person, it'll give you like you know two out of three odds that you'll win right so okay great and then they lose and they get really mad at the game because they're like dude two out of three like the odds were with me how did i lose that right so there's a lot of like um trickery behind the scenes you know like the the numbers are uh they lean more towards the player because that's one of the uh, that quote that i I, uh spout uh pretty often that came from sid meyer where it was like there's three kinds of games there's the games where the computer is having all the fun the designer is having all the fun or the player is having all the fun right and, uh, you know, apparently Sid wants to make games with the player is having fun. Imagine that. 
And so they would, you know, behind the scenes, they might bubble up to you, you know, yeah, your odds are two out of three, but really it's like 80% or 90% or something. That's what they would actually give you. Right, right. Yeah, that's kind of like the loans I was talking about with uh, like success rates, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, in Bioshock, if you would have taken your last point of damage, you instead were invulnerable for about one to two seconds. So you get more, quote, barely survived moments. That sounds a lot like the, um, the thing mentioned from Doom. Yeah, um, it's also like, uh, it reminds me of something else we talked about before, which is like uh, platforming, right? Like where you kind of let the player jump even after they've technically, you know, according to their bounding box, gone off the edge of the platform, right? And so instead of just like falling, you know, which feels crappy, right? you make this like clutch jump that then feels fantastic, right? So a lot of it's like, jump. it's like, a, it's sort of like um, just, smoke and mirrors in a lot of ways right it's like making right it's all part of game feel right it's like making the game yeah. feel fun to play and a lot of times that comes to just like erroring in the player's favor right right um something else i know we've talked about is like having larger bounding boxes for good things right like coins yes. have like a huge bounding box because like you don't want to make them hard to get like you don't want right. to barely miss a coin right yeah but you do want to like barely miss an enemy right so like you kind of fudge the rules such that it just makes it feel great for the the person experiencing in the game. Yes. Which I think it's something that took us a little bit to latch onto at first, you know. Um, not that we do a fantastic job of designing game feel, but um, I do think that we've kind of like had that experience where, you know, at least personally, I was like by default just making things, the bounding boxes, like how I thought they should be visually, right? Yeah. Which is not necessarily the wrong way to go, but uh, we always ended up coming back and, and making those kinds of adjustments, like reducing the bounding box on enemies or projectiles or whatever. I I think, get this, I'm going to praise us for once. I think that we're pretty good at game feel. I think that we have a good knack for it, like a good intuition. Because, you know, we do things like um, visual cues. We want to make sure players have warnings before they get smacked in the face, right? Yeah. Uh, and we do that. Like, uh, Wizard Lizard definitely does that. The Like, the bounding box for, you know, projectiles that are going to hurt you are the size of the sprite or smaller, right? But the, the bounding box for stuff like coins, they're bigger. Uh, and I think, you know, I think the games that we make have pretty good micro game feel. I do. I think, you know, I talk about this sometimes. Like, walking around feels pretty good. Looking at torches and the lighting effects and throwing a sword against a wall. Like, I tell people this sometimes when they ask me for game feedback. I'm like, even when you're not actually, you know, you're not in combat, you're not fighting a monster, if you just walk up to a blank wall and just start attacking it, that should feel pretty cool. There should be sparks, there should be, like, you know, it should feel like there's, it gives, has a little give to it, you know, like the delays matter. Mm -hmm. And I think in Wizard Lizard, you know, you get the tongue sticking out, you get the, the recoil from the arm and the throw and then the whoosh, the sound effect and, and there's some particles that blast out. The sword hits the wall and it ricochets off and it makes a sound and it drops some particles. Like, those, those are all great things. Good game feel. Yeah. You won't hear me praise us often, so <laughs> relish it. <laughs> Uh, Chevy Ray, who is an indie developer, says we have a term called coyote time for when players walk off a platform ledge and press uh, jump too late, but the jump still works. That's what you were talking about, the clutch, uh, clutch jumping, right? Yeah. I like that. Um, there's a famous, uh, the director in the Left 4 Dead games. Oh, and the yeah. Director, yeah, the director, um, and you, you know, you're playing the game and you don't know, you're just having a great time fighting zombies, but the director... Uh, there's an ebb in the flow, right? Like if your team is really hurting, like you're all on the brink of death, they might lighten up on the throttle a little bit, right? But if you're just breezing through a level, right? And you're all like, oh man, we're playing really well. We're all pro. We're sticking together for once. They might throw like, okay, well, you know, we're about 70% through this campaign and they, you know, no one's even got knocked down once yet. Here's a tank, which is, you know, if you don't play the games, it's basically a boss battle, right? Like, you know, all hands on deck. You cannot ignore the tank. <laughs> you will all die. Right. Uh, and the director, uh, that's a relatively famous thing that came out of the Left 4 Dead games, was um, the director will make sure that the game flow and the, you know, the, the flow of zombies uh, coming at you feels good and is not just, you know, set in stone. Like, yeah, you play through the campaign, you know, it's going to be 45 minutes and whatever is a trickle of zombies. No, the director is this dynamic living thing that responds to uh, how the players are playing. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of interesting um, talk about games like that, right? And and some of those have been put into practice too, like the kinds of like director type stuff. But you know, like a um, a game where they give you the enemies that you do the worst against, right? Yeah, that kind of idea I've heard kicked around a lot. 
if not implemented. I just can't think of the particular game at the moment. Yeah. I love that kind of thing. Uh, actually, one of the Left 4 Dead devs uh, got in here and says, uh, Left 4 Dead keeps you on edge by deliberately targeting the player either farthest from the group or who has received less aggro. Mm. So they, they toss it up. And yeah, that definitely feels like a game where you get punished for leaving the pack. Uh, like the Left 4 Dead design, that's one of the reasons I, I, man, between those two games, I probably have 500 hours. So fun. And plus I had like a, you know, a bunch of friends who were playing around the same time. Like, man, is that a great uh multiplayer game uh but yeah it was like stick together or die because literally you know if everyone else is dead and you're the last hero alive you you can't survive right. you cannot like you will get knocked down and you're dead or a smoker so much as grabs you and that's it like it it really depends on your teammates to save you and like that just increases that whole like left for dead fantasy too like that that's a really cool game design decision right where they focus yeah. on people who are out of position right because it really kind of gives you that like scary feeling of like no you can't leave the group right right like if that were really happening you wouldn't go wandering around on your own yeah <laughs> i exactly yeah like in the zombie apocalypse you would be less likely to survive on your own right like you need you know you're gonna have to sleep at some point and you take turns that kind of thing uh this is something really brilliant that came out of left for dead was um in the dark areas uh you've got guns on your um <laughs> on your person no but you, you've got flashlights on your guns right and so like let's say you're reloading uh like your shotgun your flashlight will be pointing up while you're doing that and you can't see that's why you want your teammates around so they can shine lights so that you're not blind. Right. Really cool. Uh, let's see. Oh, this is good. This is a good one. In System Shock, we made your last bullet do double damage, a similar trick to the last bit of health thing. That would feel good. Oh, yeah. Man, that's yeah. another good one. That is a good one. Um, first shots from an enemy against you in Bioshock always miss. Oh. That's cool. That's, that's really smart. Um, I don't know if I... No, I don't see it here, but... Uh, uh, Vlambeer did the same thing with Luft Rousers, where uh, enemies will miss you at first. It makes you feel good, like uh, like a, you can dodge stuff. Right, yeah. And it kind of like, it sort of fulfills that, that Mega Man type principle that, that we had talked about, right? Where it's like, you show the person what's going to happen. Um, you, you know, it's, it's sort of like a extreme telegraph, right, of the attack. Yes. Right? Like you kind of show them how this thing attacks in a safe manner. Um, and this is sort of, I think, like a similar idea, right? Like you show them that they can get hit by that, but they didn't, you know? And so it's like you don't immediately just take damage and be like, oh, what the hell? Right. Yeah, that sounds Yeah, I can fantastic. feel cheap. Yeah, it's great. Like uh, no player will ever complain about that. And they'll just, they won't even know for sure. They'll just be like, it was a fun game. Like I had a good time and I can't tell you exactly why. Right. In uh, Series Sam, bullets are one meter thick when testing enemies. So like when doing enemy collisions and zero meters thick when testing against the world or the environment. So you can shoot near a corner and still hit the enemy. Mm. Pretty smart. That gets back to the um, the hitboxes we were talking about where hazards might be smaller for the player, but you know positive collector uh, items like coins and stuff might be uh, bigger hitboxes. Right. Yeah, I think just like, you know, erring on the side of the player in terms of collision, right? <clears throat> yeah. Like let them slide across objects right don't just give them a hard stop let the right. bullets pass the corner you know let them pick up power-ups more easily that kind of thing here's something i've noticed from heroes of the storm which is a game you and i talk about often um delayed um action responses so let's say you're kind of on your own you're just wandering around or maybe if you're in the thick of battle and you like you click around like i'm gonna attack this person i'm gonna walk backwards you give lots of like movement commands you can move on a dime, like walk, 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 walk. You can do like a, you can walk in a star pattern or something, right? Well, let's say you you right click the, um, the water fountain, the sippy cup, right? Yeah. Um, and then you give a command to walk away from it. A lot of times it'll first, like before it'll just cancel the command outright. It gives you this, like, I can feel it. Like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I can, I, I swear to you, <laughs> it will, even if you're like, click away, it'll be like, well, are you within like a, like a quarter second of the, the sippy cup or like a half a second you know yes because because you don't want that where you're like no go back 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 back, right yeah and time is critical in that kind of a game right so yeah I'm, I'm almost positive that when you click on something like the sippy cup it'll be like even if you cancel the command before it happens it'll go ahead and execute it for you like as long as you were, were close enough to begin with yeah i'm, I'm almost positive i really that would be I mean mind, if they uh, don't do it that would be smart because like i that is a, a in a case where you're like usually like in a mad dash to get back to like the the battle right 
Right. Interesting. Yeah. I never thought about that, but that would be um, that would be brilliant. Well, now you're going to be playing, and you're going to be thinking like, "Is Matt right?" Well, I Isn't feel like wrong? you are right. Like uh, just thinking back <laughs> to my experiences playing the game, like I feel like it I've had feels... those those times where I was like, I shouldn't have. Like I feel like I canceled that. Like I, yeah. I was glad that it didn't happen, but I remember specifically thinking like. I'm surprised that I actually hit that in time, right? Yeah, yeah. Because um, when you play the game enough, you start to notice those little nuances, like, you know, how fast your character reacts to certain commands or whatever. Yeah, I know Scott is listening right now going, yeah, I think that's true too. <laughs> Probably. Matt's got it. Matt's got it right. <laughs> uh, man, yeah, I'm trying, so I'm, I finished the uh, polygon ones that were highlighted for us. So now I'm kind of going through, uh, it's, it's just too much. I don't even know, but what a gold mine, you know, if you got the time, just yeah. take a glance at that stuff. So much good stuff comes out of it. And these are all of the things that we talk about over the years. You know, why do I love super Metroid so much? Why do I like, you know, a link to the past? Why can't I shut up about these games 20, 30 years after they come out? And a lot of times, uh, you don't know. You just say, look, it's good. It just feels good. And you play a game inspired by those games and you're like, I don't know. It's it's too floaty. The, I just don't make the jumps I think I'm going to make. You know, like I feel like I shouldn't have died there. That enemy attack that I did just missed. And I was like, what? You know, all those things that boil down to just whatever that nebulous thing is, is of you having a great time when you play the game. Like this, these are those secrets coming out straight from designers' mouths. It's, it's a really cool uh, thread. It's like playing uh, Luigi and Mario 2. Super floaty. God, I hated that. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Luigi is a really common player in speedruns because he can make those crazy jumps. Like, it doesn't look like you're going to make it, but he just never really lands. He's like a floater. Right. Like a dust particle <laughs> that just won't. He's like, land! Does gravity not affect you? It's a pretty cool mechanic, and I'm sure it's used very effectively. But it always just felt like kind of bad to play as yeah if that was your only option in the game you might have really hated the game I but was, you have yeah you got mario who's like utility you got toad who's like super tight you got princess who can fly and you got luigi who's you know floaty ridiculous i think i always played toad for whatever reason like it was my favorite control scheme yeah same i like toad i think he's one of my favorite uh mario universe characters might be my second favorite i th- well, the character I always play in Mario Party is uh, Magic Koopa. Oh, nice. He's like the Koopa with the like wizard mm-hmm. robe. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I like Boo a lot. Oh, I like Boo. I like the uh, the squid too. Oh, yeah. I forget what it's called. Um, Magic Carp. No, I don't no. know. <laughs> Some, there was actually this... Uh, that. Come I on. know, I know. The, there was this, uh, this tweet. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Probably not. Uh... I forget the, those things' names, but it, it had uh, this like a collection of screenshots. It was the the Squiddy thing from like um, a sampling of maybe a dozen different Nintendo games. Yeah, and like for the most part, you're like, oh, it's so cute, 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 and then like it, the styles are different because you know this game might have a different art style than that game, and vice versa, right? Uh, but then it was like it was Mario typing or something, and it was like this thing is an abomination. <laughs> it, it looks all scary. Surely I retweeted that. Did it look like my... um, Ultros? Ultros the Octopus, oh uh, yeah, one of my all-time favorite characters oh, man. from games. You should get the Mario Squid battling your Ultros. Oh yeah, <laughs> Squid fight um, to the death. I don't know the Squid. The Squid I'm gonna get is uh, Domingo. Oh, he's kind of a Squid. <laughs> he's a magical Squiddy monster. Yeah, I guess I didn't. What is wrong with me? I'm not going through my likes. I like everything. It's not gonna. I'm not gonna be able to find it there. Yeah, it's it's a useless list. Uh, I give up. No, but it was a funny tweet. <laughs> Newsflash, Matt found a funny tweet, everyone. Yeah. Well, <laughs> half the uh, half the conversation from today. See, once in a while, I'm like, Twitter's dumb. I should stop using Twitter. And then I'm like, whoa, look at the... There's so many interesting people on there. Like game developers and designers talking about, like, here are the secrets behind the scenes. And I'm like, gold mine. Yes. Like, this is what keeps me around. You know, like that tweet alone, it's, it's so good. And I mean, granted, maybe I would have found it on Polygon, even if I didn't use Twitter or something, but like, it's great. You can't deny that is a fantastic thread. Just, just secrets pouring out of people. It's, it's gorgeous. That is great. Yeah. I've, uh, I've sort of backed off my usage of Twitter lately. I mean, I, ne- I didn't really output very much to begin with, but even my consumption of Twitter has gone down quite a bit recently. It's, yeah, it's fine. I mean, 
I think probably, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're probably like, you know, if there's something really, really great comes out of there, someone else will tell me about it. You're like <laughs> right? my, you're like my Twitter proxy. <laughs> I tweet so you don't have to. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, you're like my, you know, curated newsfeed. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, have you read this article? No. Well, do it. And you're like, no. And I'm like, no, no, this is one <laughs> once in a while. I'm like, this is the one that you have to. <laughs> you have to read it. Yeah. Don't ignore me this time. Right. This one's this one's really important. Well, even though I have my matte filter, I have my own filter above that still. That's true. Yeah, I can't just like, I can't just read everything you throw my way. No, you can't. Not that you do you, anyway. <laughs> no, I've learned. I used to. I think I, I probably used to send you stuff a lot more before I learned the Jeff way. <laughs> the Jeff way, which is um, meh. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't reflect well upon me. No, it's fine. No, I mean, come on. There's only there's only so much uh, only so many hours in the day. You gotta yes. You gotta do your own thing. I don't have time for your five minute YouTube videos, Matt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. My my brother he has a habit of sending me crazily long videos, and I'm always <laughs> like, you know, if you send me like a sixty, you know, it's a scale, right? If you send me um, if you send me a GIF, I'm I'm okay. Yeah, you send me a five second GIF, I will 100 percent absolutely see it. You yeah. send me a five minute video, and I'm like, um, flip a coin. If you send me like an hour long video, like zero no. chance. <laughs> the odds just i mean it's possible right they got the odds just decrease like you know we all have stuff we already want to do with our time yada 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 yeah all right uh i think that's a good time to call it quits uh future podcasts we are finally going to get to i've got a side project tip i want to talk about some tips try to get some art tips too Uh, i got some coming up design patterns scene graphs and also you added today real-time multiplayer thoughts yeah I started uh, thinking about implementing some real-time multiplayer games. That's pretty cool. And all of the shenanigans that comes along with that. Man, real-time multiplayer. That's some of my best experiences ever, you know? Mario Kart, Doom, Left 4 Dead, Hots, so good. Yeah. I mean, so good. Real-time is just... This is so much more engaging. Real-time is best time. There's no denying it. Cool. Well, that uh, and more to look forward to. Thanks for listening. Uh, speaking of Twitter, I always do tweet the podcast. Retweets are appreciated. It's the only real, real way the podcast spreads. That and word of mouth. Tell your friends. Hey, I listen to this nerd show. You should check it out. It's a uh, little tangents. <laughs> but yeah, we appreciate that. And uh, thanks for listening. Ship it.
Synchronize, no desync here. No, no, no desyncs. Yeah. Um, am I plugged in? Yes, I am. Okay, great. Um, I think <laughs> am I plugged in? <laughs> oh, oh, because the power. Okay, I thought you meant like is my mic plugged in? <laughs> no, yeah, I wanted to make sure that my laptop wasn't going to die in the middle of. Oh, oh, boy, pontificating. I could call that. that would probably be a dawn, a uh, lost, a lost cast. A lost. It yes, it would. That's <laughs> yeah, that happened once. I don't think it died, but something else happened. Something. Um.